Good morning, Destiny Church. How are we? Come on, you ready for the word? Because I feel like preaching it. So if you don't know, my name is Mark. I'm the campus pastor here. Destiny Church is one church. It's found in two locations. Our other location is in Republic, Missouri. That's overseen by our lead pastors, Chad, and his wife, Tasha. Uh, we're grateful for their leadership. If we have any first-time guests in the room, how do we feel about our first-time guests, church? Come on, we love y'all honored that you decided to come worship with us. If you would, uh, grab that uh, connect card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill it out, bring that to our welcome table. They'll get you free goodies, and it gives us the unique opportunity to connect with everybody that God's bringing through our doors. Amen? Amen. We're in a unique place this Sunday because the last month we've talked about the table. We, we did this whole kingdom series that talked about getting back to the table. Did this bless you? Come on, did this change and shift some things in your home? I know it has mine. Me, me and my wife, we've been praying together more than ever before. We've been reading the Bible. We've been worshiping with our kids. I hope it's catalyzed something like that in your home as well. But we talked about not just sitting at the table together, literally, but what the table represents, bringing Christ back to the center, sharing the word with our kids. We looked at that verse out of Deuteronomy where Moses is speaking to the Israelites and he's like, you got to, you got to repeat these commands to your children, to your grandchildren, write them on your bedpost, talk about them when you go to and from. And, and he's in fact, about honoring and treasuring the word of God and incorporating it into everyday life. So we talked about the table. If we're not, uh, if we're not uh, bringing the table back into focus, then there's a good chance that discipleship isn't happening in our home. And we've been called to be the priests of our homes. Amen? So we gotta, gotta get in the craze of life, take the chaos off the throne of our homes, put Christ back on the throne, and, and surround ourselves around the table. So we've been talking about that through all of January, but you know that our theme for 2022 was the kingdom, right? It was Kingdom Co., becoming a company of kingdom people. And so this Sunday is sort of this standstill where next week we're going to unveil our vision for 2023 and where we're believing God to take us, what we're believing for him to do in this community. And so it was, it was this Sunday where Chad was kind of like, hey, you can preach whatever you want. Normally both campuses try to stay synonymous with one another and preach similar, not exactly the same, but similar content. And uh, this week reps preaching something entirely different than I am. And I don't know if you remember this from 2022, but back Back in May of 2022, we jumped into a series called Kingdom Secrets. And that was in line with our theme being Kingdom Co. And so what we found is uh, Jesus in Matthew 13, he leads us to believe that within parables, and if you don't know, parables are just earthly stories with kingdom principles embedded within them. He, he tells us that there's kingdom secrets in them. When his disciples asked, Jesus, why do you use parables when you talk and when you preach and when you teach? And he says, you're permitted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So what we did is we looked in depth at these different parables and we extrapolated any kingdom principles that were found within them. And it was powerful. Those messages were powerful. I think for me personally, they came from deep places of conviction. I actually took one of those messages and preached it in Oklahoma. And you could just sense that God's anointing was on the message as it ministered to the room and as the room responded to that word. And I believe there were things in that word that God used to set people free and shift some things in their spirit. And I don't say that proud and I don't say that to boast. I just say that because I have an expectation and an anticipation that this word will do the same. And that, and that it will live under a similar anointing. So what I want to do is I want to share 
our parable that we're going to use to kind of lead and guide the discussion of the day. But really today, what it's meant for, it's part three of Kingdom Secrets. But today, I want to marry two ideas, the table and the kingdom. And I think we'll be able to do that. So it says this, Luke 18, starting in verse one. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So Jesus begins to tell a story about a judge who really isn't a good guy, okay? So it says, so he neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow in that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her. Everyone say ignored. He ignored. He stayed silent. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me crazy. That's what he said, just like that, with the same attitude. He says, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. This is a parable Jesus is sharing. And and, and so then, then he goes on to say, then the Lord said, learn a lesson to the people he's sharing this parable with. He says, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to, those, to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? So in Kingdom Secrets, although the series has been months apart, it ain't a series unless it's got at least three messages in it, amen? So we got number three today, part three. Number one was the secret in the soil and the seed. Part two was the secret is in what was sold. And part three today is the secret in the scraps. If you're taking notes, that'll be our title for the morning, the secret in the scraps. Let's pray and then we'll jump into this thing. Jesus, we love you so much. So grateful for the opportunity to be in your house. It's my prayer that you would allow for an anointing that would help this word to be powerful and effective, that it would edify our spirits, that it would allow us to be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. We don't want to just come in week after week, nod our heads, say good word, and not apply the very truths that you're giving us through your word. So God, we pray that we wouldn't just hear this thing, but that we would live it out. Uh, It would take root in our hearts. It'd grow to produce fruit in our lives. We want to be more like you. Transform us into a company of kingdom people. And I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say this before, but just as a little refresher, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. concealed, And the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. revealed. Right, So it's so important, although sometimes we can get a little bogged down in the Old Testament. It's much longer than the New Testament. The New Testament, it's a little bit easier to understand. We, it's, a little bit e- it's a little bit easier of a pill to swallow. The Old Testament, we got some of these laws we don't really get and these long list of names we can't pronounce. And so we can kind of be like, I don't really need that. I'll just be honest for the room. It's okay. So I, I will be uh, the sacrificial, uh, honest guy here, okay? <laughs> and so, but, but what we miss when we just breeze through the Old Testament, Testament is a greater understanding of the Old Testament will help things to come alive in the New Testament that otherwise would lay dormant just due to our lack of knowledge. Okay, if you're with me, say I'm with you. So as we grow in our understanding of what has happened, the history of the Old Testament, uh, we're going to get more out of what we see in the New Testament because the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So 
every week in the month of January, I talked about this verse out of Deuteronomy and I gave you a little bit of background leading into Deuteronomy of what exactly was happening with Moses. And so uh, I wanna give you a quick little history lesson, little cliff notes with the Israelites. I'm gonna be a little teachy on the front end. Don't fall asleep on me. It will be uh, fruitful for the rest of the message. Is that okay? All right, so we, uh, Moses gets called. There's the Israelites who are God's people. God set them apart. We know them as the Jewish people. They are in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Moses gets called back to Egypt. He leads them out of the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. It's this amazing miracle. They get on the other side. He's leading them out of Egypt, out of their slavery, because God's told him, I've prepared a place for you, the land of Canaan. It's flowing with milk and honey. Everyone say Canaan. Canaan. So he leads these people out as he leads them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea, the Egyptians chase him, but he closes up the ocean on the Egyptians. They're set free on the other side of the river and they play tambourines. They're excited. Praise God. So as they're, uh, what, what we find out is through this land, God's promised them the land of Canaan. But what he failed to maybe mention here or what they forgot is although he's promised the land and already made provisions for them to receive it, the land's occupied. There's, he says, yeah, that's going to be your apartment, except somebody's living there right now. But just go in, I'll cover it. So what we see is, no, I don't want to go in there. And so the Israelites wander for 40 years for a trip that probably should have taken two weeks. And they wander. They send in spies and yeah, nah, uh, <clears throat> there's giants in there and the city's fortified. God, did you see that? Did, did you know that? I've made provisions for it, going to the land. Yet they're stricken with unbelief. They're so intimidated by what already exists in the land, what's occupying the land, that they just wander 40, 40 years. And eventually, I think we get to this place where it becomes apparent that this generation of Israelites doesn't have the faith to believe that God will give them what he's already made provisions for them to have. And so a whole generation of Israelites dies out in the wilderness, okay? And so he begins preparing the next generation. And this is what the book of Deuteronomy is about. Who's who? Their new leader will be Joshua, right? And Moses and Joshua, they have that exchange. And we love Joshua 1-9, be strong and courageous. Because he, he's, he's you know, trying to exhort him to lead the people into the land. You've got to step into the land that I've given you. Okay? So, so uh, the book of Deuteronomy, we've seen a, a nation or, or a generation of Israelites is dying out. Moses is preparing this next generation of Israelites to inhabit the land and what they need to do to do that effectively and successfully. Okay? And so there's a couple of pump-up speeches there. There's a couple exhortations and uh, commandments and instruction on how to receive what God has already made provisions for. He says this specifically. I, I want to remind you here, there's the Hittites in the land, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All those people are existing already in the land of Canaan. Those are specific names. We can summarize it all, call them all Canaanites. Is that cool? There's Canaanites in the land of Canaan. And so he says this, Moses preparing them to go in. If we could turn on that AC a little bit, that would be great too. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, it says this. In, in those towns that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, destroy every living thing. What? I'm gonna read it again. In those towns that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, destroy 
every living thing. So as they're entering into the land of Canaan, there's a couple surrounding towns, villages, where they're allowed to let some people live, but these specific areas in the land of Canaan, nobody lives. Destroy them all. Wipe them out. Okay? You must completely destroy the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? Well, he tells us, verse 18, this will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. That sounds a lot like what we read in Corinthians is bad company corrupts good character. And God understands through his foreknowledge through everything that he understands about his creation, he's over all of his creation. God can assign his creation to do whatever he wants, right? He, he's sovereign and he's over, over all. And he tells them prophetically through Moses, if you allow the Canaanites to live and to exist, it's gonna contaminate the new thing that I'm trying to bring forth. We have to wipe it all out. But in typical Israelite fashion, they're disobedient. And they allow little pockets of Canaanites to live and it will pollute the new thing God's trying to do. One of the most famous examples of how we see this play out is with King Ahab. King Ahab was a Jew, an unjust man, the, the most cruel of all kings. He was a bad dude. And, uh, but, but King Ahab nonetheless is a Jew, and he gets hooked up with a woman named what? Jezebel. Come on, y'all read your Bibles, praise God. And so Jezebel is a Canaanite princess from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Everyone say Canaanite, Tyre, Sidon. She is a Canaanite princess from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Sorry, that was my fault, not yours, for sure. And so they were supposed to wipe out the Canaanites entirely, definitely not marry them, okay? Yet King Ahab, as cruel, as corrupt, as evil as he is, he marries this chick Jezebel. And it's not long before she's like, hey, you're so handsome. Like, let's kill all the prophets. Yeah. It's like God's word was true. Yeah. Like God foresaw what would happen. Yeah, baby, I just love you. Come on, let's, let's kill everybody who represents God. Amen. This, wouldn't that be great? And, and so that begins, they're, they're killing, it's Jezebel's, that's, that's from her spirit to wipe out all these prophets and the prophets represent the voice of God to a generation that's supposed to be taking over the land. And so uh, it's this little compromise that the Israelites have made that has caused so much animosity between the Canaanites and the Israelites. And as we look at these ebbs and, ebbs and flows of like high times with the Israelites and then the Israelites like falling in on themselves and rebelling, a lot of time it's pagan influence from them not taking out the Canaanites like they were originally supposed to do. Okay, does that make sense? Everybody with me? Yeah. So we have a Canaanite princess from Tyre and Sidon. Okay, yep regardless of all the rebellion and what they've brought upon themselves, the Jewish people still have this small hope, this large hope to cling to. It's the son of David. So they've messed everything up. They, they've rebelled. Then they've repented. Then they've rebelled. Then they've repented. Uh, the North Kingdom always kind of got worse. The Southern Kingdom had some good moments and some low moments, but they're broken. They're messed up. 
Yet we see that David, there's going to be a descendant from David who comes and puts it all back together. And even though they're experiencing pagan oppression now, a king is coming. The son of David is coming. And he's going to come kick down the door and he's got a sword and he's swinging. Okay, he's going to come say, he's going to clean up our mess. He's going to make everything better. Say son of David, son of David. We got a Canaanite woman, Tyre and Sidon, and who? Son of David. Okay, let's, let's jump back into our, uh, uh, considering that, there's one more piece that, that I want to provide, though. It is, it, part of why I wanted to share that is there's animosity between the Jews and the Canaanites now, or people who are of Canaan descent. Honestly, that's kind of an old term. In the New Testament, you wouldn't say like, oh, they're a Canaanite. It's like an ancient term. If they did use that, then it's like a huge insult. Like, oh, really? You're reaching all the way back there? And uh, another thing that they would call, <laughs> another thing that they would call Canaanites is a kuin, a kuin, which translated in Greek means wild cur. It's a wild dog that's homeless, that's a scavenger, that eats trash. To Jews, the dogs are unclean. Gentiles, they'll keep dogs as pets, but they call them wild, undomesticated dogs. And the Jews' view of Canaanites is if I even associate with you, you could defile the purity of my own spiritual state. I want nothing to do with you. Same devil, same tricks. We see it with racism today. Discrimination, prejudice today. Amen? Same devil, same tricks. It's always existed. Yet the Jews, they, they blame the Canaanites for all their oppression and loss, and it's their faults when really, Jews, you weren't totally guilt-free through the whole thing. But that's besides the point. Let's jump back into our parable. Luke 18. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Uh, a widow in that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, because she was persistent, someone say persistent. persistent. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me crazy. And so like, girl, what do you need? So I don't have to deal with you anymore. Um, he says, I'm going to see that she, she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, so he shares this parable and he continues to sort of explain why he's sharing it. He says, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a, a just decision in the end. So don't you think God would surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Now, we know that parables aren't necessarily nonfiction stories, right? They're earthly stories with heavenly kingdom principles embedded within them. Um, but again, here's what I love about Matthew 13. And I explained this back in May, but I have to re-explain it right now because it's just so good. Okay, so in Matthew 13, Jesus is only communicating with parables, and he doesn't explain the parables like he does right here in Luke 18. So in Matthew 13, he teaches in all these parables without explaining what they mean. And the disciples come up to him, you know, on sight when they were with the crowd, they're like, that's good, Jesus. Yeah, I love that. And then they get alone with Jesus and they're like, Jesus, what did all that mean? <laughs> and they ask him, why do you teach in parables? Why do you only speak in parables? And Jesus responds with this, and this is so good. He, said, he replied, Matthew 13, verse 11, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. And so here, I'm going to read it, but I'll explain it because if we read it too fast, we'd miss it. He'd say, to those who listen to my teaching, 
more understanding will be given and they'll have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. You have to understand that Jesus' primary mission in coming to earth, I've said this in weeks past and I stand on it, was to establish the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven, those are fighting words, right? Because there's already a kingdom that exists, right? There's already uh, the prince of the air who's at work in humanity. Jesus is coming with, to establish the kingdom of heaven. And in people's perspectives, that kingdom is like there's going to be an army that raises up. There's going to be war. There's going to be these things for a new kingdom to be established. So, But as Jesus Jesus is establishing the kingdom of heaven before he takes on the cross. Uh, there's people who want him dead because he's a, trying to establish the kingdom of heaven. And if word gets out that he's the king and he's trying to establish the kingdom of heaven, then he'll be killed before the appointed time. Here's what parables do. Parables conceal the secrets of heaven. Parables reveal the secrets of heaven. The difference is, who does the spirit allow to receive the truth? Whose eyes does he open? Whose ears does he open? If you're in the crowd wanting to kill and stop the mission of the establishment of the kingdom of heaven, it's concealed. If you're there hungry to know and you have faith to believe, it's revealed. Okay, this is what is so powerful about Matthew 13 and what Jesus tells us about parables. He's, he's wanted dead, but, but so he uses this. And then other times he just uses parables to communicate his truths. Amen? And so, um, but with this specific parable in Luke 18, Jesus doesn't make us guess. He just says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them they should always pray and never give up. That's why he's sharing it. That's why he's telling that story. And so I read this parable and I understand that although Jesus is a judge himself, he's not relating himself to being an unjust judge. But instead he's trying to cultivate faith in his hearers that if persistence uh, can shift something in an unjust judge, what will persistence do to a just judge who's full of mercy? If persistence can unlock this and, and allow this to be received from an unjust judge, like what will be persistent? What will happen if you're persistence with me? He's using hyperbole. He's trying to exaggerate this simple truth. Persistence is powerful. Persistence is powerful enough to drag even the most corrupt into correction. Persistence is powerful enough to change course of a seared conscience. Persistence is powerful enough to receive for you what was only permitted for other people. Like you ain't allowed to have that. Oh, come on. Come on, please, please, please. Can I have it? Please, please. Persistence will allow you to receive what was only permitted for other people. It's powerful. And so Jesus emphasizes in verse seven, that, that, that was his emphasis. He's like, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to the people who cry out to him day and night? He's inviting his followers, his hearers, believers to seek him and to trust that his character that he's kind, that he's just, and that he's full of mercy. He's inviting them, I want you to seek me. This is what Paul was trying to teach us in Romans 2. He told us this, Romans 2 verse 3. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Here's the verse that I really want to share. Can't you see... That God, that can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
And so the world, we think if we're going to change someone's behavior, you better get the towel and drop kick them, right? I meant to say paddle, not towel. I don't know why towel came out. <laughs> Just smack them with a towel. You better listen. But the kingdom of heaven, everything about the kingdom of heaven is in opposition to the world that we know. And so to see real change is to actually be kind and loving. And so Jesus is inviting them because he's kind and he loves demonstrating his kindness. Be persistent with me. Be persistent with me. And um, so, uh, you know, there's this group of, but, but what we'll see when we look at Luke 18 specifically, he, he's cultivating confidence in his followers to trust that he loves demonstrating his kindness. But notice that, you know, the, the judge was silent, right? God, Jesus tells us to be persistent, ask, seek, knock. And uh, some of us, we may find ourselves in a season where if we were to be honest with one another, like we have been persistent. God, I've prayed and I've fasted and I've asked and I've sought and I believe and I get that you tell me to be persistent in my prayers, but I have been and you've been quiet. You haven't done a thing. You haven't shifted anything in the spirit. I, I even took pictures and stored them in my diary and I wrote on Facebook, God's going to do it. And I told my friends at work that you're working it all together for good. And, and, and God, I, I've trusted you and I've asked and I've asked and I've sought and I've knocked and I've fasted and prayed and you've been silent. I think there's a group of people in here today. You would claim you've been persistent, yet God has remained silent. I almost titled this the secret of the savior silence. But here's what many of us miss. Y'all know I love a punch and a hug, amen? So here's your punch. Maybe we haven't been considering he's kind. Maybe we haven't been spiritually mature enough to interpret his silence as his kindness. Maybe we haven't been spiritually mature enough to interpret his silence as a manifestation of his own kindness. Check, check. Remember how I stated that parables are not necessarily nonfiction stories, but they're just sort of these made up earthly stories that have kingdom principles. Well, that's almost always true, except for with this one. Because there's this story in the gospels that's eerily similar to the parable that Jesus shares in Luke 18. And so I, I want to look at this. Jesus is on his way. He's with his disciples and uh, he takes off for Gentile territory. And then so he, he just kind of this random, he just leaves Galilee. This is like uncharted territory. Really no Jew would ever go to this territory. There's really no reason to do that. And we don't even really get the details of why he's necessarily going there. But, but let's read this. It starts in Matthew 15. It says this. Then Jesus left Galilee and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon. That's weird. Verse 22 the word's Gentile, but originally translates Canaanite. A Canaanite woman. Any bells? Just making sure. A Canaanite woman who lived there came to him, pleading with him, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Well, that sounds familiar. We talked about some of these things. So, so I got to point those out. You, you got to recognize, okay? Son of David, that's a messianic term. If you're saying son of David, that's acknowledging that this dude's the king. But if she's a Canaanite woman, is she Jewish? Is she even supposed to interact with the Jews? Okay, this is provocative. 
So let's, let's read Matthew 15. Then Jesus left Galilee and went to the north region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away. See, she's bothering us with, with all of her begging. Can you imagine? We've, we've been talking about how Jesus is kind. This doesn't seem kind. Literally, can, can you imagine the audacity, the, the, the vulnerability to put yourself out there, to kick open the door into the room and say, Jesus, son of David, my daughter, man, she, she, she's struggling. And you're the only one who can help. I've heard about what you did. I, I know how you're helping Gentiles. Would you, would you be willing? And Jesus sits there. It's like he doesn't hear. And the dudes with Jesus are like elbowing each other, eye rolling. Like, what is she doing? What is this cooing doing in here? What is this, what is this wild dog? Who does she think she is? Jesus, tell her to go away. And I'm putting together this message, literally wept writing a lot of it. And here's what the spirit puts in my heart. Some of us are too insecure to sit in his silence. Not realizing that the one silent sees you. And his sons and his daughters don't always sound like him. Right? So Jesus is silent. She comes and he doesn't even respond. They're telling him, send her away. And she's just standing there. I don't know if she's humiliated. I don't know if she's just so desperate she can't hear him or it's everything else is blacked out and she's just desperate for a divine touch for her daughter. We don't know. Jesus doesn't say anything. I know I would just feel like an idiot. I guess I'm gonna take off then. If you're just not gonna say anything to me, then what are we doing here? <laughs> that would be uncomfortable. Some of us are too insecure to sit in the silence, Right? but the one who's silent sees you. And so when others say to send you away, what we'll find out about our savior is he loves when you stay. And here's why. This is my favorite part, Bailey Totten. Because if you stay, he'll speak. But if you leave, you'll never learn to listen. The Canaanite woman is persistent and her persistence provokes a response like the unjust judge, but this is the just judge full of mercy. He's not being silent because he wants her to leave. He went here for her. He knows exactly who she is. He knit her together in her, in her mother's womb. He knows every hair on her head, right? He's being silent because really you have more faith than that. Will you stay? How desperate are you? How desperate are you? He's silent, but she won't leave. So this, he said, then Jesus said to the woman, her, her persistence provokes a response. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. 
but she came and she worshiped him, pleading, Lord, help me. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the son of David, not the son of Canaan. I was sent first for the Jews, right? And the Jews are thinking the son of David is coming to set us free. Not you dirty dogs. Not you Canaanite people who have ruined everything for us. He's on our side. He's on our team. And Jesus is saying what, what the narrative has been, testing her. How deep will you go? How much faith do you have? How persistent are you willing to be? I wasn't sent for you, he says. If some of us could learn to be still when he's silent, we would hear the spirit speak with a greater sensitivity than ever before. And even deeper than that, when he finally does speak, when he finally does, when the Holy Spirit whispers to your heart, even when he doesn't say what you wanted him to say, will you still worship? Because look, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and she worshiped him, pleading, Lord, you got to help me. Jesus is pointing out that, that he, although he's the king of kings, he's the king of the Jews. He, he's the son of David. He's, he, he's not the son of Canaan, but this Canaanite woman has enough faith to believe. I understand all that. And I see all that, but I know that you're able. I'm asking that you would be willing. She's not permitted to receive this. That's what culture would tell her. She's too dirty. She's too unclean. She's too far removed. She's too sinful. She's too annoying. She's too obnoxious. She's not smart enough. You don't make enough money. You don't know enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You haven't followed God long enough. You didn't wait till you were married. You did drugs last night. You've been drunk every day this week. But she was persistent. And we got to receive the revelation that persistence puts you in position to receive something only other people were permitted to receive. Persistence will get you permitted. Yet up to this point, her persistence really hasn't made much of a difference. Jesus ignored her. Then he finally responded, didn't say what she wanted to hear. Jesus goes on with the conversation, says this, it gets worse. Verse 26, Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And so we read this on site and we're like, did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Is Jesus participating in the derogatory terms, in the prejudiced terms, in the racial slurs? Did he just call her a dog? And this is where we got to learn our Bibles and we got to look at the original, the original language because what you'll see is although in, in English it just translate dogs, the Greek word for the racial slur is kuin, but what Jesus calls her is a kunarion which means pet dog, domesticated dog. He's kind. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. But you know, considering there wasn't dishwashers and sink disposals, uh, you know, those things weren't necessarily uh, uh, accessible in this day. 
but we know that Gentiles had pet dogs. Sometimes what Gentiles would do is because they don't have a dishwasher, they would allow the dog to eat the... And, and so when she responds, still unwavered, still persistent, still full of faith, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall from their master's table. So would you help me? And he says, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request has been granted and her daughter was instantly healed. And this is the revelation. It's good. And this is the revelation the spirit of God allowed this Canaanite woman to receive. That as she observed the culture of the kingdom of God, as she's talking to the king at the table, as she's talking to the son of David, she recognizes in your culture, in your kingdom, if the least of these will instead be the greatest, and if the last shall be first, and if it's more blessed to give than receive, if everything about your kingdom is opposite of mine, then surely in your kingdom, food scraps are really full servings for every, anyone foolish enough to believe it. Amen. I'll take what I can get, because anything from you is enough. Jesus says you have great faith. In this story is a picture of the gospel. Because what nobody understands yet, especially the Jewish people, is Jesus ain't just coming for the Jew. He's coming for humanity. This stupid disciples sitting at the table. They're not stupid, but you know, just for hyperbole, relax. <laughs> sitting at the table thinking they've earned this? You've been good enough. You follow God well enough. You read your Bible enough. You, you pray good enough to earn him. Oh, like you're worthy to be at the table with him. It was his grace that covered you. It ain't anything you did. You were on a boat cussing with your buddies, cutting fish before he called you. Have you forgotten who you are? And this Canaanite woman comes in and realizes, and Jesus says, you've got it. You figured it out. And I just wonder if there's some people in here we've been struggling to believe that maybe it could really be me. It ain't about a Canaanite woman. It's about me and you. We're liars and we're cheaters and we're stealers and we're dishonest and we're addicted and we're broken and we hurt other people. Yet he's saying, come. This story, we see a picture of the gospel. That, that, Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or pure, addicted or not, whoever you are, Jesus is for you. And he's got, he's got enough to share with you. It's more than enough. The secret's in the scraps. We're all dirty, homeless, unclean sinners who were never worthy for a seat at the table. Yet he loves when you stay and invite yourself to the dinner. <laughs> he's so gracious and he's so kind that he would change your name. They may have called you Kuhn, but I'll call you Canarion. They may call you Canaanite, but I'll call you sister. I'll call you daughter. He's so kind he would change our name and prepare a room and adopt me and you into his own family, not because of our own persistence, but the persistence was of our own faith. Yet he's allowed us to experience faith that he really is able 
right? So, so, he, so he comes, in, in, that, that we would have faith that his suffering was sufficient. That a God could love you so wildly that even though you're broken and dirty and unfit for the standard of heaven, he would love you so much and pour out so much grace to say, I'll do what you cannot do but allow you to partake in the reward. This is, this is a love, this is a love uh, uh, so provocative that it satisfies every hunger, every thirst, every need, because we've recognized, come on, I, I don't know if I'm the only one, but maybe someone else in the room has recognized that the sex never satisfied and the social status never satisfied and the salary never satisfied. I needed my soul saved. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So whoever's foolish enough to believe it, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Amen? I mean, we got people getting baptized today because they've been foolish enough to believe it. Amen? You're getting baptized. I want to invite you uh, to... Uh, Pastor Ethan, Pastor Ethan, could they meet you out in, in their lobby? Or are you going to have Huff out there even? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, that would be great. So uh, I got t-shirts and towels for you out in the lobby here. If you're getting baptized, can we celebrate those getting baptized today? Here to declare with gladness in their hearts, they were foolish enough to believe it, that God could love some old Canaanites like us. Amen. This is it. I got to summarize. I got to summarize the message. My nugget, so to speak, is that where there's no room for persistence, there's no room for desperation. And it's desperation that will allow us to discover the deepest places of our faith. And without faith, you cannot please God. So sometimes he's making room and the answer is not to walk away is not to leave the room, it's to grow in fervor and to grow in enthusiasm and ridiculousness and belief and persistence that you're the only one who can. I know that you're able, I'm asking that you would be willing. And guess what? He's kind enough to do it. He's kind enough to do it. Come on, let's pray and then we're gonna worship Jesus. We love you so much. There's nobody like you. The King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Anointed One, the Son of David. You came down to tear down walls of racial lines, cultural lines, traditional lines. You loved humanity so much and you're making, you've made way to knit us together in love. God, you've allowed us to receive what only you could offer, not through our performance, but simply through our faith and our belief. And so God, we're so grateful that you've made this gospel, this good news available to anyone foolish enough to believe. And we proclaim this morning, we believe it. That you love the, earth, that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only son to die for us and that whoever would believe it would receive eternal life. We receive that good news this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.